So today's Sicha on Parsha Korach, the fifth Sicha of Korach in volume 18. It's a combination from one theme talk that the Rebbe spoke, and it was over three different years in 1964 on the Shabbos of Parsha Korach, which was also the third of Thomas that year, on the big Yutes Kislev Fabrengen, in 1965, and also a weekday for bringing on the 3rd of Parshas Korach, on a Tuesday in 1977. So it's a combination from these three different talks that the Rebbe said that was put together this uh, Sicha that the Rebbe edited. And he edited it in the year of... 1978 for that uh, for that week. So the the talk is basically like this. We begin today's parsha with the name of the parsha called Korach. Korach and his uh, group, his cronies, together 250 people, they all ganged up in a complaint against Moshe and Aaron. Basically, the nutshell of their complaint is, is who are you to think that you're in a higher and greater position than all of us? Aaron is the Kohen, and Moshe is Moshe, and what is this whole business that you guys are being in this greater, higher position? Moshe is shocked to the core how somebody could talk like that, because Moshe says, what do you mean? (laughs) Hashem is the one that appointed us, we have nothing to do with this. And we all know the background from different places of Moshe himself and never even interested in this position. And it's Hashem that made us, that gave us these positions. It's not that we made ourselves any greater. And he makes a whole uh, 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 competition, a sign of how you could see that this was a godly orchestra. And they stick to theirs and they're not happy. They're, they're steering up the Jewish community to get more and more against Moshe and Aaron. And eventually Hashem punishes them that the earth opens up and Koirach and all his 250 cronies are all swallowed up by the earth. Then the Parsha continues and it mentions that Hashem says, I want that Jewish people should be giving donations to Ruma and everybody should be giving this to the Kohen. So the gifts that we're going to give the Kohen and there's 24 different kinds of gifts that you're supposed to give to Hashem, which basically, in order to give it to Hashem, you give it to the representatives of Hashem, which is the godly service, which is the service of the Kohanes. That's how you give it to Hashem, by giving it to these people that are Hashem's top representatives. And then it mentions also about the tithing that we give to the Levites. Now, the commentaries pick up on this, and they say, what is the connection in our Parsha of the story of Kairach with this idea of giving gifts to the Kohen, to the the Matneis Kahuna, the gifts to the Kohen? What's the connection of these two? So the Sifri, who have we been quoting many times, and the Sifri, which is one of the earliest uh, commentaries on the Torah, and they he said, in the Sifri it's written, that after Kairach came and questioned the whole position of the Kohens. 
which basically, which is the position of Aaron the Kohen. So Hashem says, now I'm going to do what you would do in any courts. When there's an issue that arises and comes to a court, what does the courts do? Eventually the court comes to a conclusion and to show strength to their ruling, they basically write it up, document it, seal it, stamp it by the courts, and now it's clear the stand of the courts. Sashem is basically saying, you were questioning the rights of the Kohen. Now that it's clear, I told you and I showed you that this is the right thing, that I'm the one that said that these people should be the Kohen. Therefore, I'm now going to seal it in the court by basically sealing it in the book of the Torah by showing you that this is really my plan, that everybody has to give their support to the Kohenim by giving them your gifts. So that's, that's the connection between the story of the complaint against the Kohen rights to the idea of mentioning in the same parsha the idea of giving the gifts to the Kohen is basically sealing it and publicizing it that this is the st- giving status, basically, to the Kohens. So that's what the Sifri writes. Now, we have to understand, and this is the Rebbe's first question over here, all this makes sense to have this connection between the complaints on the Kohen and bringing down the whole idea of the gifts to the Kohen, I get that. But right after the mentioning about the gifts to the Kohen, the Parsha mentions about the tithing that has to go to the Levites, to the Levites. Uli b'nei Levi, and to the children of Levi, you have to give tithing which is said right after the story of the gifts to give to the Kohen. So the question is, what's the connection of the Levites and the Kohen story? I get it. You, you explained it to me because he argued on the Kohen thing. That's why we talk about the gifts of the Kohen. But what's the connection to what's mentioned right after the Kohen gifts about the Levites? Number two to this question, that seemingly not understood, that not just is the Levite complain about the Levites, has nothing to do with the argument about Korach, actually, it's a contradiction to the argument of Korach. Because the whole idea of Korach's argument, as the verse says, Moshe said to him, you're asking also because you want the Kahuna? Obviously, this is not a complaint about the Levites. Why? Because Korach himself was a Levite. And actually, Korach was from the important Levites. Because it says, Korach, who was he? He was Ben Yitzhar, Ben Kahas, Ben Levi. So actually, we're mentioning who was he. We actually, the verse mentions his lineage to show you how great Korach was as a Levi. So as a Levi, he was actually not just a regular Levi, he was a high high up Levi. So, Certainly, he's not fighting about the rights of the Levites because he's a Levi himself. He wouldn't be saying, "Oh, why, why are these Levites any special?" He wouldn't do that to himself. Doesn't make sense because he himself is an important Levi. By the way, as a side note, Rashi tells us that it, the Torah goes back his lineage, but doesn't mention Yaakov. It's just a side note I'm bringing you. It doesn't say that Levi was the son of Yaakov, Jacob. And the reason is because Jacob didn't want his name mentioned here when there's a fight. 
you know, if there's a family fight, you don't have to bring my name into it, you know. Jacob's great-great-great-grandchildren doesn't need to have his lineage mentioned in association with a, with a fight. But in bottom line here, the question is, is what's the connection to the story of the fighting with Korach to the story of mentioning about tithing to Levites? How does that fit into here? Now, there is a logical way of thinking, maybe, that the Rebbe brings down, that maybe you could say that the reason why we're mentioning about giving tithing to the Levites is because since Korach was from the tribe of the Levites, and his whole argument came from him who was from the tribe of Levi, so you could say that maybe by him fighting about this, it's going to diminish the quality of Levites. Like Moshe actually said, Shimuna b'nei Levi, he said, uh, uh, um, may the tribe of Levi listen carefully. Like he kind of declares it like that. Shimuna b'nei Levi is like a strong statement, like listen here, the children of Levi, you know? So clearly there was like some rebuking to them. So you may think that the Levite quality is being diminished. So God forbid, we may think we may think that. So you may say to yourself, maybe that's why we mention here about the tithing to the Levi to show you that no, that they're not being diminished, even though it came from the Levite family people, this whole argument, and that's why I would mention this tithing to Levi. Maybe we would want to think that that could be the logical reason why, how this fits into this week's parasha. So he says it's difficult to say that this is the reason why, because the Torah is telling you a positive thing regarding the gift to the coin. And then it says, with a vav, ubnei levi. Vav in the Hebrew always means and. So it says the gift to the coin and the tithing to the children of, uh, of levi. That means that they both have a similar positive reason in mentioning them. And if you're going to say the reason why we're mentioning the tithing to levi is to show that a negative component that you would think that they would be diminished in in level, and that's why you're mentioning about them. Then you then you're saying something that we're trying to prevent a negative thing. But since it's mentioned together with the gifts of the coin, that's a positive structured thing. So we're back to square one. Why do we mention about the tithing slavery in this week's parsha? And since all things mentioned in the Torah is 100% precise, perfectly, very carefully thought through every detail, we have to say that the connection between the gifts of the Kohen and the tithing to the Levites must be connected to the argument of Korach, and not just in a general concept, in order, because they made a fight, so now we're going to give it strength, but it must be that there's actually a real substance of connection between these two things, the argument and art of Korach's fat, him and his people, and to the story that we're giving gifts to the Kohen and the ladies. And what is that full connection? He continues, we already spoke many times something that is quoted from uh, in a book called the Noyam Elimelech. There was a very big tzaddik, his name was Elimelech, Reb Eli Melech from Lezhensk. And he has a very well-known uh, book on his commentary on the Torah. 
And he says something interesting. The word, in the word that it says, where the name Korach, said that, that Korach argued, argued, over there, the Targum, the, the Targum, the Unculus Targum, translates the word Vaspalig Korach. Vaspalig means like Korach caused division. Okay, he translates like that, division, or you could say argument, you know, he caused a split. So the Noyam Elimelech says an interesting thing. He says that this split of Kairach originates in an earlier split that happened something in the universe, in the creation of the world. The first time that we have the concept of split where two things, you know, fall apart and go their own way is when God split the heavenly waters and the earthy waters. Because in the beginning, when Hashem created water, water was everywhere. <laughs> but you have to have a world where there's not going to be water. And so in introduction to that, Hashem split the waters that there should be heavenly waters and earthy waters. In other words, you know, the water you see in the oceans, then you have the clouds and you have the, the waters that come, you know, that are above. So that's the first split. In other words, it's the split of heaven and earth. And in this is what happened, the argument of Kairach over the Kohen rites of Aaron was regarding this subject, the higher world and the lower world, meaning spirituality and materialism. That becomes basically the, 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 the nukes of this discussion of argument is in, of spiritual and mundane. Since a coin, what's the job of a coin? It's to be completely disconnected with worldly matters. You're supposed to be very involved in holy things. Actually, the verse says, You should sep- Aaron, you should separate yourself to sanctify yourself in the holy of holies, you and your children. That's what Hashem wants from the Kohen. The Kohen's job is to be completely submerged in holiness. That's his job. Especially Aaron, who's the high priest. And on the high priest it says that he should never leave the holy place of the temple. And this is what Korach said. He said, Why are you, you who are elevated above God's congregation, why is it that you, Aaron, while you are separated and at such a high level, you are trying to influence your holiness on the mass, on all the Jewish people, on the Kahal Hashem, on the congregation of people. You're trying to get that Jews that are not Kohen, not Kohenim, that they should also be more spiritual. And they should separate and elevate themselves from worldly, mundane things. Well, isn't the job of all people to actually be involved in the world and material things and serve God with the material things, not to separate yourself? So why are you, Aaron, involved in doing your spiritual works, but also you're caring about the welfare of the Jews, that they should also be more spiritual? Isn't your job just to be completely spiritual? 
And that's why they argued. They said, Why are you, who are elevated above the entire congregation, it's, it's, when they said that, it's not a contradiction that they themselves wanted to be Kohanim. Because Moshe said back to them, Ah, you want to be a Kohen? That's why you're arguing, huh? It's not a contradiction that they wanted to be a Kohen. But Korach wanted to be a kind of Kohen that has no connection to the people. Be a holy, but don't have any connection to people that are not at that holy status. Why are you, Aaron, having a connection to the people that are not at that level of Kohen? We find as another example to this concept of being so spiritual and not relating to anything of worldly people that are, you know, regular, the mass of Jews, that are involved in worldly things. The Rebbe brings two examples where you see this concept of certain sages that were like that. They were so lofty and high that they didn't really relate down. For example, the famous story of Shammai. We all know the famous Shammai and Hillel. Shammai, it says, because of his strong perfectionist in his way of how he served God, he didn't have patience for people that weren't like him. So we have the story that you know that, that the, the, the uh, non-Jew came and he said, I want to convert to Judaism. Tell me the, teach me the whole Torah while I'm standing on one foot. And the Talmud says that Shammai had a, 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 a ruler, like a, you know, the, our teachers used to have those rulers on the wood rulers. Says he had a measuring stick, whatever that means exactly. He had one of these sticks on his desk, and he picked it up and he said, "Get out of here!" You know, like you're mocking Judaism. I should teach you the whole Torah while you're standing on one foot. <laughs> you're mocking the whole thing, right? So, and, and so you see that Shammai was so strong in his way. They didn't have patience for somebody that wasn't like that. And it says that Beishamai, when he has an argument with Hillel, they're not even in comparison. They're, 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 not, they're like not even a Mishnah. <laughs> because their whole style was as this, based on a verse that says Visham Derech, and there's a play on the word. Instead of reading Sham as a Shin, you read it as a Sin. Some, and some also means evaluating things. So he used to be very strong in evaluating things. So he would evaluate things and say, you know, you and I were on a different page. So you see a little bit, the point is you see here this concept that there are those that are so spiritual that they actually don't really have a connection with the mass of people. He brings another example. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his colleagues it says that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai was so holy, so spiritual, he didn't even stop to daven. He didn't stop to do a certain mitzvahs, most of them, because he was connected to God only through his learning Torah. Right? There was a time, when, and how did he survive? 13 years in the cave, miracle came, and there was water and carob tree. That's all he was able to eat and drink. That was enough for him. He was like a human being, but like really he was like almost, you would think of him like an angel, you know? He was able to live like that. And the Talmud says that there were many Jews that tried to live like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai and his colleagues and they weren't able to. And that's why it says that him, after 13 years, he realized that there's no way that I could live in this world if I can't respect 
people that have to be farmers and work their fields and make a living, you know. He couldn't do that. So when he came out of the cave, everything that his son, who was still that level of spirituality, would see, things would burn and he would heal it. So, in other words, it took him time to get to that. But the point is that it's a very high level and it says, Many tried to follow this path of that level of spirituality and it wasn't for them. In other words... That's not the way Hashem made the world for people to be like that. Certainly not the mass. He made a world that we should be involved in the world. So here, we can explain when it, the, the, the instruction about giving the gifts to the Kohen. Giving the gifts to the Kohen is specifically mentioned in continuation to the argument of Korah. Because the gifts to the Kohen express itself, the connection between the Jews and the Kohen that you are giving something of yours, you're giving it to the coin. Which the coin technically is higher and completely spiritual, he's not even supposed to leave the temple. That means that by me giving my personal material substances to the coin, I'm actually like elevating my material substance to a higher spiritual cause. So that's why they're called the Maktanis Kuna. Till Hashem actually calls those gifts that you give to the coin, Hashem says, thank you, that's mine, and I'm letting the Kohen use it. Shem actually recognizes that. So you're actually giving from your material substance to the Kohen. So now it makes sense. I want my material food or parts of the animals that you're supposed to give. We're going to soon see later some of the list of the gifts. So you give that to the Kohen. So now that's becoming more spiritual. So Rebbe says, if this is the whole idea that I'm giving my Kohen gift so that it should become more spiritual to go into the realm of the Kohen, it's not understood. It is obviously authentic that at the end of the day, Korach was arguing on the Kohen stuff, and especially on Aaron the Kohen. His intention was, by this, it was to, to show that there should be that the Kohen should be separated from the people. But not that there should be a connection between the people, between the material world and the spiritual world. In other words, holiness, godliness, and material substance. So we should have said that the whole way of fixing the world should be that I should give away everything that I have to the Kohen, to spirituality. In other words, if the whole point is to say that my material substance should be, not like Korah said, but I'm going to give it 100% to the coin. it's now going to become holy, so why don't we see that we're supposed to give everything away? Why do we give only some parts as a gift? Like we find there are certain things that we give, for example, animals. There are certain animals that were brought on the altar that were completely consumed and burnt on the altar to Hashem. That means the entire thing was, but by the gifts of the coin. It's not like that. We give things to the coin that the coin should enjoy them. He should eat them. And many things that we give to the coin actually stay, stay mundane. They're not considered to be holy. It's just that you give it to the coin. He gets to eat it. So if the idea is, is to give and things should be elevated, why don't we give everything like the Karbanas? So in order to understand this, the Rebbe is going to take us on a small ride to understand, and this is what's amazing about this whole Torah essay here, is that he's going to take us in a ride to something that's relevant to our generation. He says, look at the story of 1927 when his father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, was 
put into jail for spreading Yiddishkeit all around Russia. And he was released on Gimel Tammuz, on the 3rd of Tammuz. That's the day that in 1927 that he was freed. Now, just to put it into context so we can re- refresh our minds of the story, Gimel Tammuz, the 3rd of Tammuz, he's notified, you're leaving jail, we're not going to be shooting you, we're not gonna, you're not going to die, we're going to send you out for 10 years into an exile in Kastrama prison. In exile. Now, it turns out miraculously, a week later, nine days later, actually 10, ten days later, he gets freed completely. But at this point now, in the third of Thomas, he's being notified that he's basically going to be a free person from his, you know, solitary confinement. Now, we understand that everything is Hashkacha Pratis, is by divine providence. Especially like the famous Shalah HaKadosh, the great tzaddik, he writes that all the holidays of the year are connected and hinted to the weekly Parsha. Comes out that must be that Gimel Tammuz must have a major direct connection to Parsha Korach. Based on what we said before, that the argument of Korach was, right, that he argued on the Kohen rights of Aaron. And what bothered him was that Aaron was involved in influencing holiness into the mass of the Jewish people. Now we can understand the connection to our story here of the third of Thomas. Just like Korach. It didn't bother him the concept that there should be a coin period. That the Kohenim are separated from the world, they're very spiritual people. It was the issue was that they were affecting people. So too was by the previous Rebbe. Those people that were against the previous Rebbe and tried to get him to stop spreading Yiddishkeit, it didn't bother these people that the previous Rebbe himself was a devoted believer and practicing Jew. That's not what bothered them. What bothered them was that he was spreading Yiddishkeit across Russia. That's what was bothering them. And by the way, who were the people that got him to be, that the government should arrest him? It was the Yevasekzia. That was a group of communist Jews. They were so disconnected from the practicing of Yiddishkeit that they wanted to put a stop to Yiddishkeit in Russia. And since they knew that the previous Rebbe was the main backer keeping Yiddishkeit alive, throughout Russia, they needed to get him to stop. So that's how they got him to be arrested. Right? Now, what was their problem again? Not that he himself was an observant Jew. That they couldn't care less. They didn't like that he had a network of influencing Jews and keeping Yiddishkeit alive. Now, when he was released on the 3rd of Thomas, and Hashem showed in a revealed way to everybody, that he's going to be able to continue spreading Yiddishkeit. That was the whole, obviously, when they allowed him, they said, you're going to be freed. The idea was that now you're going to be able to continue to do this. Exactly like Hashem did in Parshish Korach, that he took off the complaints of Korach 
and he sealed it and announced it in the courts, as we said before from the Sifri, that this is a public statement that Aaron's going to continue to be the Kohen and do his job of influencing and elevating people across the board. Says the Rebbe, but seemingly if we think about this a drop more, it's not a perfect comparison to two stories. Why? Because on the third of Tammuz, he was not freed 100%. He was only freed from this confinement of the prison cell. And they were sending him to exile to Kastrama, where he still was not going to be able to spread Yiddishkeit fully because he's in an exile, far in a faraway forsaken place. It only happened on the 12th and 13th Thomas. He was notified on the 12th of Thomas he's going to be totally free, but because it was a holiday then in Russia, they couldn't stamp his paper, so he actually only left the 13th of Thomas. Happens to you as a side note, 12th of Thomas is the previous of his birthday. But so you get notified on the 12th, and I always say most of Hasidic holidays are two days, two-day holidays, so we have an extra day to celebrate. The day he was notified, and they actually left, you know? But the point is that on the third, 12th, 13th of time, that's when he was freed fully to totally be able to spread Yiddishkeit 100%. And even that wasn't 100%, by the way, until he actually left the country. Until he left Russia completely, which wasn't until Israchag of Sukkot, a couple months later, where he left the country completely. There he was able to start, the, you know, sending out his letters and campaigning from, you know, from Latvia where he was. So we must say that this similarity between the redemption of the previous Rebbe with the idea that Aaron's Kohen position was sealed and publicized must be connected, at least in, a, in some kind of way, with the limitations of the exile that he was faced in his arrest. And we're going to explain how we are going to see that even though the Gimel Tabas, he was released, but not fully to go totally back. We're going to soon see how this is connection. To understand this, he says, let's ask a very simple question regarding the general idea of the Kohen gifts, and so too of giving tithing. Giving the Kohen gifts that a Jew gives to the Kohen is only certain parts of your um, what's the, what's the right word? Of your earnings, of your your belongings, even the truma, which is your your, your gift, uh, the challah, as we learned last week. You you take off a piece of the challah, you give it to the coin, and and the like. These things you only give from the top of your batch. You give the coin. That means that there's a limitation in how much you're supposed to give off for the coin. Only the ratios are the beginning part of it, the head of it, the first part of it. And even according to the sages, they say that a good-eyed person should only give one of fortieth. And so too by Chalo we learned last week, right? That you give only one of forty-three, a baker one of forty-eight. So there's, there's a certain amount, a limited amount of much you should give. But you're not supposed to give away all of your Chalo to the coin. So too with tithing. Even with the lady giving tithing. You're only supposed to give a tenth, a ten percent from your fruits and vegetables. But the question is, the fact that you say that a person 
should put a limit in how much they give. Meaning that you're not allowed to give less than that amount. Then it's understood. In other words, to give a, a cap, how much is the least amount of tithing that I understand? You can't give less. But why is there a limit in how much I could give? I'm not allowed to give or sanctify for my belongings more than a certain amount to Hashem. I'm not allowed to give all my properties away to Hashem. Actually, the Rambam says that never should a person sanctify all your belongings, say my entire fields, everything I own, I'm donating it to the temple. If you do that, it's actually considered to be a sin. You'll end up being a handout person. So that's called being silly. You're not supposed to say, I give everything, my house, my condo, my car, my dog, my... <laughs> not dog, but you know what I mean. You're not supposed to say everything. That's, not, that's reckless. And whoever does want to give much more than your requirement, the Rambam brings down, he says, Al Yafazer You should not be giving more than 20%. So the normal amount is 10%. Give 20%. If you really want to you know, go at it and be a you know, good, amazing, no problem, up to 20% you could give, right? It's brought down elsewhere. He doesn't discuss this here. But it's brought down elsewhere from the, from the Tanya that the Rebbe brings down that a person shouldn't give, this, this is the, the law, that you're not supposed to give more than 20%. But the Rambam says, if you need something that to rectify uh, uh, something that you have between you and Hashem, then you're allowed to give more than 20%. That's not a question. You did something wrong in your life, uh, something that's sinful, and you want to make up that relationship, then you can give more. And the Alter Rebbe brings in the Tanya, he says, a simple logic. He says, if you would spend for doctor bills without any limitation, how much more when it comes to doctor bills for your soul, you for sure you're, you, you're allowed to give more. But normal circumstances, this is the amount, 10% up to 20%. So why is it that we have a limitation in how much you could give if the whole idea is to elevate your, your belongings to godliness? The explanation to this is, it's explained in Hasidus that there's a difference between a Kohen, Kohanim and the Levim. What's the essence of the difference between a Kohen and a Levi? Is the following. A Kohen is called the Ish HaChesed. A person that's filled with kindness. What's the idea of a Levi, the Levim? Levim are about they're they are they're all about gevura. Gevura means restrain, limitation. Chesed means you flow, you give, you're just so kind, you never stop. Gevura means where there's restraint. Korach was a levi. Him and all the people of his group, they were arguing on the Kohen rights of Aaron. Why? Because they wanted that Guvura should dominate Chesed. The power of Levites should be stronger than Chesed. The concept of Guvura, of restraint should, and strength, should be more dominant than Chesed. That's what Guvura wants. Now, what does this mean in practicality? In your day-to-day service? 
What's the difference of chesed and gvura? Chesed means, like I said, a flow, which means, think of it from heaven to earth. Things just flow. Hashem says, oh, people need food, people need rain. It just flows. It flows from upwards to downwards. That's called chesed. Going backwards against the grain is called gvura. For that, you need strength. So elevating things from below to above is strength. Use, you use a simple example on your body. When you are standing, is it easier to stand to go into a sitting position or to go from a sitting position to stand up? I hear many times people, they get up and they kvetch, ugh, you know, they make the kvetch to go up. I never hear people kvetch to go down. Right? To go down from above to below is easier. Right? You never mind walking down if the elevator is broken, but you do mind walking up. So chesed is flowing. It's, it's a smooth path. Milmaila lamata from above down here. And gvura is the opposite. Now, the source to Korach's argument was, he said that everything has to be gvura. That should dominate. In other words, the service to Hashem from down here to above should dominate. Korach held that below, down here in this world, the way things are in a material way, they're not naturally a vessel for godliness. And therefore, you have to elevate things from down here in this world. You have to take things out of the way they are in this world and make them into godliness. Now, this is not a contradiction to what it's explained in many other places that the argument of Korach was that the Kohanim, especially the Kohen Gadol, are awakening by people to make the average Jew to want to serve Hashem and go out of and elevate your, you know, your, your material level. You want to go upwards. Because that was the idea of Aaron, the Kohen Gadol, the, the Chesed person, that is coming down in order to elevate the below. In other words, that you're creating a, a cause for something to go up. Not that you should leave your material level, but to make that the material level itself should be a service to God. For example, let's say a person bought themselves a very fancy car. And they tell you about it. I'm using my own example here, but this is the context of what he's saying here. Somebody comes to you and says, oh, I bought this beautiful, fancy car. What would you say to this person? You bought this car? Who needs such a fancy material car? Get rid of it. That's what Korach would say. Aaron would say, wow, I got yourself such a fancy, nice car. Let's use it to give people rides and make them feel better. Let's use it to go visit the sick. Let's hang out more and go around and use it out to do good things. That's called elevating the material substance. Therefore, what was the knockoff to his argument? In other words, how do you argue? How do you? What's the counter to his argument? How do you fix the problem of what Korach wanted? It's not through the animal offerings, things that are going to become completely holy, like those animals that were completely consumed as elevations to Hashem. It's precisely through doing gifts. 
when you bring an offering, it's all, all the way going to be no more material thing. It's going to be given as a gift, but given to Hashem completely. So then I don't get to see that there's a bottom, that there's a, a world, a material world over here. That the world itself is transformed to be a vessel for godliness. But by the gifts that a person gives away from your own personal belongings to the Kohen, and the Kohen's going to eat it to the point that the verse says, Lemishcha, he should eat it, and Rashi brings down that it means that he should be distinguished, or there should be a distinction here for elevation. Even you see this by kings that are not Jews. They eat in a certain way as kings do. And even interesting, when I give these gifts to the Kohen, not all of them are even going to be called sanctified food. Some of them are still going to be called chulen, called mundane food. But the fact that it was given to the Kohen means that it becomes now in a certain level holy. So this becomes the first step when I'm showing now the answer to Korach is it's not about consuming things that have no connection to the material world. The idea is there should be a material world and the material world itself should also serve God. Now, if you say it like this, says the Rebbe, this can't be the ultimate level in serving Hashem. That even in the material substance, the way they are, they should be connected to godliness. Why can't you say that? Because most of the gifts that were given to the coin, there were 10 gifts that were given in the temple itself. There were four of the 24 gifts that was given through the city of Jerusalem. First, how did you give, how did you give it as a gift? First you said, this item is for Hashem. And then you would say, okay, now the coin can get it. Even by the Truma of food, even the gifts of food, even by the Bikurim, which is the first fruits that grow, and even by Challah, first you have to lift it up, and then you give it. So that means you're doing something to show that this is more holy. And he brings a couple of verses to support this idea. The first is given to Hashem, Yaviel Hashem, and then to the Kohen. Even, there's even a verse about a person Let's say, God forbid, a person stole from somebody, right? And now you want to repent, but the person died. So how how are you going to give it back to him? He's not here anymore. You want to repent. So who do you give it back to? He's supposed to give it to his hearers. Give it to his children. Now, what if that person was a convert? How do I return it to him? His kids are not considered to be his kids halachically. That has nothing to do with him. He's, he's a new person. Obviously, he converted but either after he had kids, but, but he's now a standalone convert. So he's doesn't have children. In other words, I'm not obligated to give it to his children. So what do you do with it? The Torah says. You give it to Hashem, and Hashem gives it to the Kohen. So you see, in giving the gifts, it's always going first Hashem and then there. So in other words, it seems like it's not a complete transformation of the low level of material substance to the Kohen because it's still going to Hashem. So there's like a spiritual component here. We wanted to show more the drastic difference of Korach to show that no, materialism itself 
is going to be holy. But and stay material. But here we're saying it's not going to stay material. It's going to Hashem. So it's not staying in the same lower level of materialism. And number two, even by the other gifts from, we only said the 14 of them, but there's, there's 24. There are 10 other ones that are given in the border te- territories of Israel. And it says that those places that are still, that belong to the Jews, so you have to, it to begin with, it really belongs to the Kohen, and therefore I'm giving it to him in a gift. In other words, like you say, um, like for example, you give you give the the shoulder part of the animal ghost as a gift to the coin. The cheeks belong to the coin. His uh, stomach, the stomach parts go to the coin. How about a field in Israel? Because all the fields went to the Jews that moved into Israel. Everybody got territorial land. And what if you got inheritance of that? And I decided, you know, my inheritance, I want to sanctify it. To become holy, it's going to go to the coin. How about a regular field? If you decided that uh, I want to make this, I want to consecrate this to be holy, you decided that I have so many properties, I don't need them. So I'm going to give one away. I'm going to sanctify. It's going to be considered to be holy. And there were other gifts that came around, the rules that came around after the story of Pinchas that we're going to learn later. But the point is that they're mentioned in the parsha to that as gifts that are going to be or to begin with they're like sanctified holy items that means that things are completely holy from the beginning it's just that now I'm transferring it so that still doesn't show the extreme difference of what Korach wanted Korach wanted there should be no connection to the material. There shouldn't even be a material. We're saying there should be a material and it should, we should serve it to Hashem. But he's saying you're only giving parts. And not just you're only giving parts, even what you're giving it's actually is being completely spiritual. I'm donating the entire, the entire piece of it. Therefore, the Parsha mentions about the tithing to the Levites. Because the tithing to the Levites was a different category of holiness. Even after I tithe it to the Levites, it stays mundane. And there's no holiness in it at all. Even a non-Levi is allowed to eat it. Number two, it's not any specific parts, like we said by the coin, the cheeks, the shoulder, the the the, the stomach. It's, there's nothing to do with anything I want. I, anything I want, I can tithe off and give to the Levi. So that's even more. That shows you even more that materialism itself is connected and making it become more spiritual because I'm giving something that's not specific to any material substance and anybody, not even a holy person, could eat it. So that shows that material things are, are completely now going to be holy. And that's why we bring down the thing about the, the tithing to the levy. Now, one of the arguments that Korach started his argument on the Kohen rites of Aaron so it's brought down that one of the main arguments that he brought was he used Torah scholarly points to argue. He said, a talus, if you have a talus, that's all made out of tchelas, out of wool. He said, do you need to put fringes on the corner? Because you're supposed to put on a talus, woolen, fringes. So he said, how about if the whole garment is wool? Probably I don't need fringes at all. 
So that was his argument. Moshe answered him about that. But what we, the, the point that he wants to bring out here is something that what Hasidus says about a talus and about the strings. A talus, what's the difference of the talus and the strings? A talus is a big piece of cloth. It surrounds the person that puts it on. It It's similar to the concept called in Kabbalistic words called makif, something that surrounds you. And that's the idea of wearing a talus, right? You surround your whole body, you surround, you're able to concentrate, you, 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 know, you just wrap yourself up in it. What's the idea of the fringes, the strings on the corner? The strings is not supposed to be makif all over the place. The strings are hanged down, and that's to bring down this high, lofty spiritual level, to bring it, draw it down, to become and come down in your heart into a, it should become uh, internal, internalized. Now, with this is what he was arguing on the Kohen rites, as it's explained in Hasidus. This idea that he wanted that don't bring spirituality down through the strings. Don't have the strings. Have just a talus that has made out of wool. That's enough. Now, in your service to Hashem, a little more refined, using more refined words, says the Rebbe, while a person is serving Hashem in a way where you're trying to elevate the material substance from a Jew, it could happen that why and how am I doing it? Because I got an awakening from above. Something from above came down. In other words, it had nothing to do with me. I didn't put any work into it. I'm getting these spiritual vibes. Do these good things. Do these good things. They're all coming to me from above. Now, even though when I do it, I'm getting connected to Hashem. But since it's coming from something from above without my effort in it, it's possible that it won't actually penetrate into me. It won't change me. I won't become like a different person. Because it didn't come with my efforts. It's just falling on me. We could even say in a more refined words that even the thing of giving tithing is not even enough to fix the whole problem of Korach. You have to have that you should give the gifts to the coin and the tithing in a way that it should affect down here on this world in a way that it should cause that you yourself down here are completely, you feel it, you're, you're submerged in this holiness into an internal way. Meaning the gifts of the Kohen and the tithing on its own, since a Jew is doing it, why? Because I was told to do it. That's my mitzvah, I could do it. That means it's not 100% because I'm doing it only because I was told to. Like, for example, when it comes to the mitzvah of tzedakah. So the sages tell us that after you give tithing, it's part of your the obligation of your money and your belongings that you should realize that to begin with, it doesn't belong to me. Hashem gives it to me just to hold it. But when I give away tzedakah, do you look at it that it's mine I'm giving it away? Take an easy example. When a person gives away 10%, right? I'm not talking about a person that, that you have $10 and you have to give, you know, $1. That may be easy task for you. But a person that has big money, it's not so easy to give it away. You know why? Because you think that it's all yours. But if you think in your mind, one second, this 
It's not mine. It's actually Hashem's. Hashem is giving it to me to give me the opportunity to do a mitzvah. So he's letting me hold on to it for a little while that I can do it. It's a whole different story. So when you give the separation for the Kohen or for the Levite to the tithing, what we're saying is that all this is up to the person for, that you technically could use these things for your own use. And Hashem is saying that here you see that there's a third level here. The th- third level is not just that it's the rest is for me. Uh, what am I doing with the rest that I have the rights to use it for whatever I want to do it? It's the belongings to the Jew. That actually becomes the holiest move that you could do is utilizing that stuff that's completely yours. It's not even a little bit supposed to go to the coin to the levy, you're tithing your tzedakah. And if you use that out in something, in showing the connection to Hashem, that's how you really make the dwelling place for Hashem. And we could say even more, that this alone is the reason why the gift to the, to the coin and the tithing has a minimal amount and a maximum amount. Why? Because the connection of these things to godliness is in those items is different than the rest of the 90% or 80% that you actually get to keep. And that's why it says many places in the halacha, it says that the Torah has rachmanis on the money of a Jew. They don't want you to waste it. There are certain halachas, not, not doesn't bring them down right, right over here, but we know there are certain halachas that, that um, we're lenient because we don't want a Jew to waste his money. Why don't we just go the strict way? And let's use our own example from halacha. You know, if, if you uh, drop, drip, uh, shake a bottle of milk in the middle of the night, you went to get some milk and chocolate chip cookies, and you shook the bottle of milk and it would drip down the shelf in the fridge, and it fell into a big pot of roast that your wife made, and your wife's screaming the next day and goes to the rabbi with her big roast, do I have to throw this out? The halacha is that if the drip dissolved of milk dissolved into the whole thing and there's a certain amount of meat more than that drips of milk, you're not supposed to throw out the whole meat. Aye, why don't we say, just come on, let the Jew go buy a new one. So what's $200? The Torah has Rahmanis on the money of a Jew because this is the explanation here. Because you have the opportunity to do something good with your money. So we don't want it to go to waste. Every opportunity that you have, you can elevate, is a special thing. And similar to these three levels here, again, the three levels, let's recap it. You have the level where everything goes completely to the the parts that go to the Kohen, go to the Levi. Then you have the parts that are stay here in the material world, but I have to also give it away and make it holy. Then you have the rest of it which is completely mundane and completely belong to you. He says, this is actually the difference in Hasidic terminology and from the Kabbalah, the ideas in the name of unity of Hashem, called Achtus Hashem, the oneness of Hashem. So it says there's three kind of levels. There's the Yichud, there's the uniting force together of the levels of Hashem's name, Yud, Hey, and the Vav and the Hey which I'm going to elevate from down here to the higher worlds. There's another Yud Kei Vav Kei that I bring down from the higher worlds down to this world. And then there's combining these two together. Because what's the whole idea of connecting the letters of Hashem's name? That's a force that Hashem used these letters to create the whole world. 
and you create the, it creates the world in a way where he wants it to be recognized that even after you created the world, the world is still one with Hashem like it was before he created the world. And really, we are all in a non-significant existence in comparison to the way things are in the higher spiritual worlds. And this brings and motivates to the highest level with his complete spirituality, which is like the level of a tzaddik. Tzaddikim are much more disconnected to the materialisms of this world. That's the higher level. The second level is the way godliness comes down into this world and it spreads everywhere in this world. That there's an existence of this world. And the existence is also reconnected to Hashem. And this level has to do with material things where you actually could have pleasure for the material things, have pleasure for godly things. But even in that unity of spirituality and material substance, even though it's a material thing, you could feel that it's two separate things, spirituality and materialism. And then you come to the highest level where we connect the two spiritual material to become one entity. He says this is now more that we can understand now the connection to the Gimel Tammuz and Parshas Korach. On the 12th and the 13th day of Tammuz, when the previous Rebbe was completely free from the exile of Kastrama, we don't see so much that he was able to transform the negative itself. In other words, on Gimel Tammuz, he was free, but it wasn't simple to, and he's still not, to spread Yiddishkeit throughout entire Russia to all the Jews that lived there. But by going into exile to Kastrama, he showed something very unique. He ordered right away that there should be a, a cheder set up in Kastrama. He said whatever Jewish kids are there in the town, they should start getting them together. He corrected and fixed a mikvah that was broken, an old mikvah there. And he started to teach some chassidus that was there. So that's where you got to see in the place where it was the lowest place. He was still in exile, but he was still able to actually do it and spread Yiddishkeit there. That is comparable to the highest level that we said till now. That taking away the obstacles of the Korach's argument that even material substance, the way they are, they should be able to serve Hashem. And this is what's interesting, that when the previous Rebbe was on the train platform before they took him to take this train to go to this exile town in Kastroba, on the train track, many Hasidim came there to greet him off and say goodbye. Remember, every step, you didn't know if you were going to see him again. And they came to greet him, which was a danger for all those that did that. And the Friedrich Rebbe, he set a sicha on the train track, on the train platform there. And this is what he said. He said, we ask by Hashem, that Yehi Hashem Elokeinu, he quoted a verse, that Hashem, our God, should be with us like he was with our forefathers. Do not forsake us and don't let us, don't like, you know, forget about us. Hashem, he said, Hashem is Baruch, should be with us and he will be with us just like he was with our forefathers. And then he said the following statement. He said, even though we are not in comparison to our forefathers, who they went on self-sacrifice in a literal sense to, for Torah and mitzvahs. Rebbe says we have to understand a few things here. First of all, in his request itself, that he said Hashem should be with us, he says Hashem Elokeinu, 
Hashem is the highest level. When you say Yudke Vavke, you mean the way Hashem was, is, and will be. It's a godliness that's even higher than having a connection to this world. And then you say, Himanu, it should be with us. When you say the name Elohim, Elohim means that He's with us. That's what it says in Shulchan Aruch. Whenever you say the word Elohim, you're supposed to remember that He is our strength. So that shows that Hashem is already with us. Why do you have to add the word? Hashem Elokeinu? And then you say, He should be Himanu. Another question is, when you say Hashem should be with us, then that's a much higher level. You already said the Hashem Elokeinu. Why do you have to say, Al Yazveinu, don't forsake us? And another question is, what is he saying that even though we're not on a self-sacrifice like our forefathers, where do you think the previous Rebbe was? In a complete sacrifice for Yiddishkeit. So why is he excluding himself from this? And even if you want to say it was because of his humility that he had for his own self-sacrifice, that he's not in comparison to the self-sacrifice of our forefathers, he didn't have to say it in a way that even though we're not incomparable, that means he's completely excluding. He said we are not. That means he's excluding those that go on self-sacrifice in a literal sense. That this is actually printed already in a mimer that the Rebbe gave out many years later in a Hasidic discourse. It was given out on a Gimel Thomas date in 1990. But the point that he's going to bring out is that the Rebbe, when he says we, he wants to include every single Jew that may be that the only quality that they have in this Jewish world is that they're called a Jew. I Meaning there's nothing else that they do that you know, that they're great. It's just that they're called a Yisrael. So when he wanted, what he accomplished through his redemption was that even those Jews that are only called a Jew, meaning not, let's not pay attention to the fact whether they do, how much, how observant they are. When he said we are not in comparison, what he meant to, what he means to say is to hint on what the Medrash says. The Medrash says that King Solomon once said to Hashem, a king that hires workers and good work and they do their job and he pays them their wages, big deal. You don't have to compliment the king for that. When a king hires bad workers and they don't do their job so good and nevertheless he pays the wages, that's already a compliment. And that's what he's saying over here, that Hashem, you could be with us and redeem us even when you have people that are not so perfect. The emphasis is that there are Yisrael. And based on this, we could explain that there are three levels over here in the verse, Yehi Hashem Elokeinu, be with us. The first level is Hashem Elokeinu, that Hashem is our strength and our life and our total existence is that like the highest level of Karbanos where we brought those offerings completely devoted to Hashem. When he says, Hashem Elokeinu should be Imanu with us, why does he, he already said Elokeinu is our God. Why do you have to say Imanu is with us? Because here he also wants to include that with means that even though you're Elokeinu, you're with means that it's a proof that we're connected to Hashem. Like a person who gives the donations to the Kohen and the tithing, like we said before. And the third level is don't forsake us. Even a person that's the lowest level, like the lowest level of our material substance, that you're not tight giving away for tithing. Like, or a Jew that only has the name of Yisrael, which seemingly has no connection to godliness, even by such a person there should be the redemption.
So he wants to include the Medr says, like you hire a bad workers, meaning a person that's not doing his job. And this is the idea of this of Chassidus, to help us to recognize, to take this material substance of this world in a revealed way, make it into godliness. And as the Rebbe once said, every single Jew, without considering their level, their personal level in practice of doing mitzvahs, ultimately has a complete, beautiful heart with God and His Torah. And this he affected by all people around. Even by those, he even affected this by those Jews that caused his arrest. They eventually turned around and became his assistant. Even once in jail, one of them said to him, Rebbe, I'll hold your bags. Imagine that. The guy that hated him calls him a Rebbe and says, I'll hold your bags. The previous Rebbe didn't want to let him. He said, a person like you, I'm not letting you have the honor. But the point is that even they had a certain sense where they were turning. And they eventually helped him to get out of prison. Eventually they realized the wrong. And since these are days that are mentioned here that we need to remember and motivate ourselves in practice, every single person that's with uh, with Imanu, that's with us, has the lesson and the strength that we can take from Gimel Tammuz, which is, the lesson is, not to be affected by any obstacles that come your way in anything to do with spreading Torah and Yiddishkeit in general. And we have the promise from Hashem, which is the second translation of the word Yehi, which is not just it should be, but it will be. And it will be fulfilled that Hashem will be with us like He was with our forefathers and He will not forsake us. And it will be in every single home there will be spiritual light and material light in everybody's home. And this is the point of this Sikha. So now we understand that the ultimate level is, is our connection with the regular substance of material things that you have in your life. Not just on the 10 to 20%, that's the highest part that you give away, but the regular parts that we have in our life, to use that out in some way in a relationship with us and Hashem.